The Weird, Wacky, Wonderful Stories podcast is now proud to be part of the Low Tree Studios podcast network. To enjoy more great podcasts like this one, head along to lowtreestudios.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weird, Wacky, Wonderful Stories podcast with your hosts, Shelley and Bella. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 85 of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Hi everybody, getting close to 100, closer and closer. We are, we are, 15 left. So Mm -hmm. we have a really exciting show for you today. This book totally blew my mind, let me tell you. What mind? (laughs) Yeah, forced laughter. Yeah, because I didn't have a witty comeback for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because my mind has been blown, you see. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. We're going to dive right into it today so that you get all of the good stuff right away. We have a UFO researcher with us today who's been researching UFOs since 1986. He has investigated for MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. He's authored over 25 books. He's written articles for many different publications and websites. He's taught classes on various paranormal subjects and he's lectured all across the United States. We are thrilled and honoured to welcome to the show Preston Dennett. Hey Preston, how are you? I'm doing well, doing pretty good. How are you? We are absolutely amazing, thank you very much. We are being safe. I'm amazing. Well, okay, you're amazing. I'm okay. okay. She's amazing. We are locked down to a degree like everyone at the moment in these strange times. How's it over there on the west coast of America? Uh, We're having a bit of a heat wave. Yeah, we're still on lockdown, but our numbers are going down, so that's nice. Excellent. And uh, Yeah, yeah. I'm enjoying sleeping late, I can tell you that. (laughs) Yeah, it has its benefits. I can't believe the amount of (laughs) DIY I got done around the house. It's unbelievable. I've got the fence painted and everything. It's great. I got more for (laughs) you. (laughs) Yeah, I bet you have, yeah. We're here today to talk about your new book, UFOs at the Drive-In, 100 True Cases of Close Encounters at Drive-In Theatres. So we want to really focus on that today because that absolutely captured my attention the minute I saw it. But for those of our listeners who don't know you, can you just give a little bit of information about you and your background? Yeah, certainly. Let's see. I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois. Lived here in California most of my life. Got five brothers and sisters. So big family. Thought we were all skeptical of UFOs. Um, I know I was. Any, I was skeptical of anything paranormal. I have to tell you that. And uh, wasn't until 1986 I heard a report on the news about a sighting over Alaska, and uh, remembered my brother had said he'd seen a UFO. I didn't believe him at the time, but I went back to him. I'm like, Mark, you know, what did you see? Hmm. And he described this, yeah, this typical flying saucer. He chased it down the road i'm like really he's like yeah you don't believe me talk to phil and greg they were with me those were his friends i knew who they were so i, I did i called him up i'm like phil you know did you see a ufo and he described exactly what my brother saw so did greg and that's kind of how it started for me i'm like oh gosh you know are aliens invading our planet i can't believe this so uh, have you gotta- have you seen anything 
Yeah, I sure have. Never saw anything growing up. It wasn't until I started investigating this stuff and actually going out looking for it. And I've had a number of really good sightings. That's what they say, you know, like as soon as you go look for it. It starts looking back at you. Yeah. Yeah. We, we get a lot the of becomes the hunted. Yeah, yeah we exactly. get a lot of people who say, "Oh no, no, no! I never believed in whatever, but now I do." You know, so it's it's interesting. And you've written countless books on the subject since, haven't you? How many books have you written on the subject so far? About twenty on UFOs in particular, but I had to touch on ghosts and <laughs> you know Bigfoot and out of body stuff because all this paranormal stuff is connected. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I, that's something that I've believed for a long time. Even if you just look at the way science looks at it, then it's connected. Because if there's no rational scientific explanation to it, then it gets lumped in the paranormal field. Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed that UFOs are in the paranormal field because, I mean, I get that they're unexplained, mm. but it's it's a nuts and bolts phenomenon with spiritual aspects to it but that's kind of how everything is yeah the paranormal isn't paranormal i mean i don't think any laws are being broken it's just we don't understand what's going on don't you think the paranormal though has now been used to to explain anything that's really outside of the norm it's disappointing when i look at stuff you know you know bigfoot is a good example that you know yes it's unexplained it's you know not completely verified but there's mountains of evidence it really shouldn't be lumped in with the paranormal i agree totally moving on to your book then ufo's at the drive-in how did you come upon this <laughs> right it's weird um i never expected in a million years to be writing about this subject was at my office one day we had, we had a new hire her name was claudia blasios and, uh, you know, I work as a bookkeeper mm-hmm. and uh, doing data entry, this sort of thing. And Claudia was a really nice lady. And she found out I was a UFO researcher. And she's like, wow, you know, I have to tell you what happened to me as a kid. And this was the first time I'd ever heard anything like this. And what she described is amazing. She said this, she was with her family, her sister, her two parents and their little VW Beetle watching this movie at the Paramount Drive-In. This is 1972 here in Southern California. It's in the book, isn't it? Yep, yep, yep sure <laughs> is. <laughs> she saw that her parents were like just staring dazed at, dead ahead and people were screaming, dropping their popcorn, their drinks cars were screeching out of the theater so she looks to see what's going on and sure enough there's this giant flying saucer right next to the movie screen i mean not up in the sky but right next to the screen and it was it's wild and and it's you know she said it was metal like a silver spoon really shiny with portholes colored lights the whole deal making a soft whooshing noise and just completely causing panic in the drive-in theater you know they ended up rushing out at some point or the object went away they don't quite remember and here's where it does get weird even weirder i should say there's a memory aspect to all this a sort of an amnesia problem in a number of these cases where people don't talk about it or will even forget it and they don't remember quite what happened but it was some years later, they're listening to the radio, and this guy comes on and he starts talking about how he saw UFOs at the Paramount Drive-In. Claudia was with her mother. She turns to her mother and says, oh, that was us. We were there. And it, he was describing the exact same thing. And her mom's like, yeah, I remember that now. Wow. 
So they'd kind of forgotten it until that point. Yeah. That's bizarre, isn't it? Because Claudia's like, well, why didn't we ever talk about that? I remember that. And her mom's like, you know, I don't know. And that turns up in a number of cases. Not always. I mean, some of these cases, they are chattering like crazy after it happens. So here's the pattern I noticed, right? You're, you're at the drive-in. It's night. Your chances of seeing a UFO are significantly better, I think, than if you were, say, inside. Because mm. uh, you're out there, right? You're out there for hours. And some cases seem to reflect that. Just kind of a UFO flies by. But not most of these cases. These cases are not normal. In these cases, these objects come dropping down out of the sky and hover usually right next to the screen. Sometimes above it, sometimes on the right side or the left side, or right over the theater itself. But low, very low. Uh, we're talking 50 feet, you know, less. Wow. So that's unusual. Another thing that's really unusual is these are sometimes pretty long-lasting sightings. These objects don't just like drop down, stay a couple of seconds, and then take off. They put on a display. They put on a show. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even kidding. They will dart. I, I mean, I'll, I'll show you some cases. Uh, but yeah, they're darting around doing all kinds of maneuvers. Another thing that makes these cases unusual, and I think this is a really important point, is the huge number of witnesses. Because we're looking at, you know, 50 witnesses minimum to these cases. Most have 100, 200, 400, you know, even more. But it's weird because they don't all, I mean, you'll have this really crazy sighting. One of them was the Wellington Circle Theater or whatever. And it, the whole thing went on for about 45 minutes. And the story says there were about eight UFOs and people saw them. But then nobody really talked about it that much. And it's weird that people will see it. And you'll have only one or two people that'll go, oh, yeah, 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 I remember that. But if you're saying there is some sort of amnesic effect to it, maybe that explains it a bit. Yeah, it's very curious because uh, most of these accounts that I collected come from the testimony of one witness or a family, yeah. perhaps. Uh, but not all. There's a couple that do have independent reports. And I wonder about that. Are these people forgetting it? Or is it just because because most of these accounts did not come from UFO books. I dug these out of newspaper articles, mostly. And Facebook and that, wasn't it? I put out a request on social media, got some reports that way, uh, which was great because I got to you know interview the witnesses firsthand. We noticed that 1952 seems to play quite a key role in the book with quite a number of sightings that year. What do you think made that year so different or so prominent in this? Yeah, I wonder about that because it's not just with this particular subject of drive-ins, but that was a wave of very high levels of activity. And I think what we're looking at is a phenomenon that was still fairly new. I mean, I know UFOs have been visiting our planet for centuries, millennia. We know this because of petroglyphs and hieroglyphics and middle age paintings and so on, Colombian artifacts from 20,000 years ago. But what we're seeing now, since 1947, the modern age of UFOs, you know, the atomic age, Roswell, the Kenneth Arnold sighting, is a new level of activity we've never seen before. And it probably is because of the atomic age. This is what a lot of researchers have certainly speculated. So that's like 1947. And it was that's when activity started to really ramp up. And by the you know, the early 50s. 
it looks like they're doing a complete survey of our planet, collecting plants, animals, hovering over nuclear power stations, just everything uh, with no fear of being seen. So a good number of high-quality cases came during that time. That whole point that you just made there, not having a fear of being seen, to present themselves right in front of a movie screen that, as you say, you've got 50 to 200 people all staring at, that's an open display, isn't it? Exactly. And that's what makes these cases so unusual. I scoured the UFO literature looking for similar cases of UFOs hovering over large groups of people. And there's just nothing out there. There are a few cases of UFOs over concerts, not a hundred that I could find. Or, you know, baseball games or something. And the schoolyard ones that I know you've written about before. Yeah, the schoolyard is the only other thing that is at all close. And in fact, it's very close. Mm. Very similar, except it's kids. This And this is adults and probably a little bit of a larger group here. So, yeah, this is what I think their agenda is. Because it's, this behavior is so in your face. I mean, there's... Like this case, August 1952, it's an early case at the terrace drive-in in Bakersfield. It's a great case because there's a bunch of people that drive in and suddenly this object just drops down out of the sky at pretty high speeds and literally stops right over the screen, just above it, and turns on its lights and in a way that's so obviously wanting to be seen. This one was a quick sighting compared to most, and it, after stopping, it took off really fast. <laughs> Uh, but they all run to the snack stand and call the local police who have you know, this flood of calls come in. So they end up coming down and interviewing some, you know, there's still a hundred people even after the movie has stopped or talking about this. He interviews some 20 people, sends a report off to Edwards Air Force Base, the local military. Hmm. And they, they route it to Project Blue Book, which is, you know, just starting. It gets routed all the way up to uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And, and Air Force Base in Colorado and uh, the Director of Intelligence in Washington, D.C. So this is reaching the highest levels of government. Have you seen any declassified reports of these from Blue Book, for instance? Yeah, yep. that's where I tracked a number of these cases were investigated by Blue Book, which is fascinating because none, not one of these, made it into their unidentified list. There'd be some very high-quality sightings. And uh, Blue Book would say, ah, we think it might be a balloon. No, don't say the weather balloon. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, which is ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. And Uh, don't you think it insults all of those people that were actually there and saw it? Yeah, yeah, it's a travesty of justice because this is our tax dollars. And they have done untold damage to the progress of this field. People have been afraid to come forward. There's a very strong ridicule factor which is just about, you know, not completely, but it's definitely on its way out. This subject is finally getting into the mainstream. Aliens that can get to Earth, because we can't find them, right? So they get here. The whole idea that scares me way more than a ghost story, because <laughs> because a ghost, it can't destroy the planet. But if all those aliens from wherever they come from all decided to come here at the same time, we'd be gone. There's nothing we could do. It's funny you mention that because I've talked to abductees, people who are having you know, onboard experiences, and they're like, oh, I hate ghosts. <laughs> they're scared of ghosts and more comfortable <laughs> to eat. And uh, vice versa. You know, I've heard that. So 
I find that fascinating. And yeah, I think you're right. This is a serious issue. I think ghosts are great evidence of life after death. And that's very important. That, you know, people know there is life after death. But this whole ET thing, I don't think they're going to take over. I really don't. They've been around for a very long time. Yeah, true. Uh, but still. If they could, if they could, they if they wanted to, you know, would be pretty helpless against it. I suppose the only question then is, what is time? Because if they've been around for a long time, is that a long time in our time perspective or theirs? <laughs> yeah, um, it's interesting to say that because there are weird time things that go on. There's cases where people are like taken on board and they come back and it's three months later. Yeah. And they only remember a couple of hours or vice versa. One lady I interviewed, she had a car accident in Georgia and it was very badly injured. And when the emergency response came, you know, minutes later, they found her outside the car. They couldn't understand because it looked like she had gone face first through the windshield, but she was lying next to the car and her face wasn't damaged at all. But they rushed her to the hospital. She had multiple, you know, broken bones and took three months of recovery. But later, years later, you know, she was having encounters and goes under hypnosis and is taken back to this scene of the car accident and she's abducted from the car accident hmm. and into a ufo and the et's told her i know this is weird but uh i've got other cases just like this the et's told her that she had died in this accident and that she wasn't supposed to uh, her brain stem had been severed and they repaired it they healed her she said this operation she watched it happen from kind of an out-of-body perspective they just healed her using lights and sounds. It took, you know, a good while, 20 minutes at least, maybe more. They said, we can't fix all your injuries because some of these are karmic, which I That's found interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that was kind of, in, yeah, weird. And uh, yeah. they Yeah, we're not fixing that. You deserve that one. You can have that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. Other cases like that too. But they put her back in the scene of the car accident. Just dropped her there and... No, it couldn't have been more than a minute or two before the ambulance arrived. Wow. So it's a very weird case where it is extended time. Yeah. We spoke to Dr. Michael P. Masters a while ago about his book, and he told us about a case of a lady in Australia who was abducted, I believe, in, in like plain sight or in, in daylight or whatever. She had the specific time that, she, that she'd been abducted. She was then found 45 minutes later over 800 kilometers away and they said that there was no way that she could have got on a plane and flown there there's no physical way she could have got to that location in that such a short space of time and obviously she claims that she was abducted and then dumped back in the wrong location so yeah we've heard about that kind of thing before and certainly even your book even this book about ufos being seen at the drive-in also includes stories about abduction there was one at the ascot park drive-in which is one of the major ones or you might be talking about the Hinesville that's the one uh, yeah the Hinesville one yeah <laughs> that one was weird right because you said in there as well that he had other experiences close experiences encounters did he tell you about those as well or well yeah he did talk about some of his other experiences which I didn't include in the book because you know that's not what it was about this experience he had at the drive-in theater was very interesting. Yeah, he's had some very close-up sightings, possibly more than that. So it's possible it's related to what he saw at the Hinesville Drive-in Theater. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, this is in Georgia, 1974. His name is Derek Smith. He's a good witness, a U.S. Army Ranger, a trained observer, I guess is what I'm trying mm. to say. So he's there at the theater with his wife, and they notice these weird lights kind of behind the theater. And no one else is paying attention to them that they can tell. His wife is like, are, are you watching those lights? And he's like, yeah. And it was clearly abnormal. It was like a disc-shaped light, you know, pretty low, 300, 400 feet, which is what we see. Starts sending down, I think it like maneuvered around a little bit and then sent down a beam of light. And it was weird because this beam of light detaches from the craft itself. So this is some sort of coherent light beam, not yeah. a normal, hard to describe, but like a solid light detaching itself. And this is when it gets really weird. This beam starts to go back up and inside of it is a person or a figure, certainly. You could see the arms and legs and it was kind of, and the head spinning around, spread eagled. They couldn't tell whether this was, you know, a person or an ET, but it was definitely a humanoid figure. Uh, but what's interesting is it just sucks right up into the craft. And this object, this disc-shaped object, actually there were two of them. And one's like at treetop level, just mo moves off to, until it's out of view. So they decide they're going to leave the theater and see if they can find this thing, which they do. They travel around looking for it, but never saw it after that. But I have to wonder what's going on here. Yeah, <laughs> hmm. yeah absolutely. A, there are a few cases of observed abductions, but it's not common. And in front of so many people. I mean, you know, even if you look at things like cattle mutilations and all that sort of stuff, it happens under a cover of darkness away from everyone else. You don't tend to find these abduction cases. Yeah, I know there's a few like you just mentioned, but really... They're a tiny, tiny proportion. So, again, it leads me to the question, are they putting on some kind of show? Are they being drawn to the area where the drive-in movie's actually going on, maybe because the the, the, of the light and the sound and, and all that sort of stuff that's being projected, you know, right out into the open? Do you reckon that maybe they're drawn to that? Or do they just like movies? Yeah, that's it. One of the theories <laughs> is that they just like to watch the movies, isn't it? Yeah, I, I looked into all of this after collecting all these reports and sort of you know, collating their behavior. I thought, perhaps they're here to watch the movie. And <laughs> I have to tell you, there's at least one case where it looks like that's what they did because they were there the whole time. Really? Uh, <laughs> the entire length of the movie. Most know, though. I mean, they're, they go behind the screen in some cases. They're flying around. They're darting. So I'm going to say that that theory doesn't explain most of the cases. Must have been a really good movie. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's the big screens. You know, yeah. these if you look at a driving theater from above, it's got a striking footprint on the ground. It's mm. huge. It's got all these cars lined up, a giant screen, a hundred feet high. You you can see these things from space <laughs> for sure. So any UFO flying by has got to be like, huh, what's that? <laughs> yeah. And come swooping down and. I hope they're not using it to study us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wonder whether they kind of watching it and wondering that's real life. Yeah, but I hope not because they're watching The Exorcist. I <laughs> know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, all, yeah, I was looking at the movies that were playing. I'm like, maybe there's a theme there. But no, it's all kinds of movies. James Bond was one. That Exorcist, was pretty funny. Simpson movie. <laughs> Jurassic Park, King Kong. Yeah, if they're using it to study us... Mm, 
that could be bad news for us. Well, no, maybe it's good uh, <laughs> news because they see all that and go, yeah, we're not messing with them. We're just leave now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Especially if you've got something like Blade Runner or something on there, you know, and, you know, they're showing all the cool sort of equipment that they got and what have you. That's absolutely bizarre. Do you think that, looking at it from a different way, do you think maybe the movies themselves are kind of making us as humans look for these things a little bit more or maybe interpret something which may be a natural phenomena into a ufo i looked into that i don't think so you know some people are like hey you know people are watching the movie they're a little bit entranced they're kind of hypnotized maybe they're imagining this uh no i don't think that explains the cases at all because these are very low level sightings Hmm. and the chances of misperception hoaxes hallucinations you know the standard air force line (laughs) is very low and uh yeah it's clear to me that these are absolutely publicity stunts. So the question would be why? I mean, why are they showing themselves off? You know, what's their agenda behind that? And I think it's they want to announce their presence. And I think they're doing that in sort of an attempt or to facilitate perhaps an upcoming open official contact. Yeah, some kind of dialogue. Yeah, I like that idea. You know, you see it very often where people say, oh, why wouldn't they land on the White House lawn? Well, really, to aliens, what the hell is the White House lawn? Yeah, really. You know, do they really know who the president is and, you know, where he lives? And this is only the president of the US, by the way. And I don't mean that disrespectfully by saying only the president (laughs) of the US. But what I mean is there's lots of other countries in the world that have all got dignitaries. I guess Hollywood, it would always, you know, Hollywood will always tell you it's the White House. But to an alien, that really, I don't know. Who do you think that possibly an alien would look to as a representative of Earth? Yeah, this is a great question because if you look into the literature, it's pretty clear there has been contact with world leaders, high levels of government, by the ETs. They have made attempts and have had contact with government officials. Mm. There's the case at Edwards Air Force Base, supposedly 1954, where ETs met with President Eisenhower. Supposedly landings at Holloman Air Force Base and others. These are unverified reports. You know, these are coming from whistleblowers and it's kind of at the fringe. But supposedly the ETs have been pushing for open official contact and our governments did not want to do it. And this, I think, is why they're doing a sort of grassroots movement and mm. coming to the people themselves. Yeah. In little doses. Yeah. I've got to be honest, I thought that if there was an official understanding, if you like, of, of these kind of events, I would have thought that your current president, President Trump, I would have thought that he would have been the man to come out and say. Yeah, all the presidents have made comments. He has made some comments. He has made some, yeah. I honestly did believe that he was probably going to be the man to come out and say, okay, this is what's really going on, guys. He he did do, what is it, what did he call it, the Space Force or something? He's, yeah. Yeah, which is inevitable. I mean, we're going to have a Space Force at some point. Yeah. If you bring it back down to Earth, I think a space force actually makes sense anyway, because if you start looking at intercontinental ballistic missiles, they actually go into space and then come back down, don't they? So having a space force that's monitoring space anyway is a good idea from a security point of view, just protect us against, you know, other countries of our world. I think there's been one for a while, honestly. We're just learning about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you know what I mean. And this is kind of what's forcing disclosure. This is why I think our government and other governments are starting to come clean because they can't keep this secret any longer and have any credibility. 
And why do you think there's such a high proportion of military personnel that talk about these sightings? And they don't necessarily have to be high up in the ranks or anything, but it does seem like there are a lot of military people that... Encounter this. That encounter them. Do you think it's because they're... Air Force, you, you know, you would think if they're in the Air Force, so they'd pay attention to the sky a little bit more or something. Or Navy, if then it would be dark. You would be seeing a lot more things. I mean, what do you think that's about? There's something to that. And uh, it's a little concerning to me, honestly, because I started to notice like the abductees would often have people within their family who worked in military intelligence or something. Um, not often, but it kept turning up. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hmm. And uh, like my. Latest book, Onboard UFO Encounters. One guy is, comes from a military family, so does another, so does another. Let's see, four out of 15? Yeah. That's a pretty high percentage. Yeah, when you consider all the different types of jobs people can have, yeah. So I'm thinking that the ETs are very interested in people who are in the military, which is might be concerning if you're like, think ETs are hostile, but I don't. I think the ET agenda, honestly, when someone's taken on board, yeah, they're physically examined and perhaps genetic material is removed, but they're given messages and it's usually for our benefit. And this is pretty clear across the board, whether what type of ET you're talking about, or this is from pretty much all the researchers are uncovering this pattern, major researchers where ETs are giving warnings of nuclear proliferation, yeah. of environmental destruction, pollution. That's a good message, one we certainly need to hear. Or they're being taught about alternative energy sources. They're taken to the control room and told how the machine works, how the UFOs fly. That's not uncommon. And that's another really, yeah. Wow. Four or five cases in my latest book just like that. Wow. Quite a few cases, yeah. That's not uncommon where people are taken to the control room. Beyond that, people come away from their experiences spiritually transformed. Um, a lot. I don't want to say all cases are, you know, fun and happy because they're not. This can be a very scary experience. But what I'm saying is I don't think the ETs are trying to scare people. There's no evidence of sadism or torture or murder or all the horrible things we do. People come away from their experiences and they're very interested in astral travel mm. or psychic readings or channeling, hands-on healing or Reiki, environmentalism. They're all about the animals. Abductees have a very strong affinity for animals. So there's a lot of really positive things that are coming out of this, which I think speaks towards the ET agenda. That's why I'm not afraid of them taking over. I think they're trying to wake us up. That's what I think their main agenda really is. That leads to another question then. So if they are able to select people, let's say, intelligently, so rather than just picking someone off the street, they're looking for someone who has, like you said, an affinity to animals or they're a you know military intelligence worker or whatever, then that would suggest actually they know more about our daily life and what we get up to than what we would be led to believe. Yeah, I'm going to say that's a fair statement for sure. Cause, and I say that because ETs are able to find people who they want to, you know, take on board, no matter where they are. There seems to be a pretty heavy level of manipulation in people's lives. And yeah, I think they're watching events very closely and have the ability probably to you know, see the future to a certain degree. Okay. All right. I mean, that's a whole nother thing. So now we're going into time travel and where you talked about karma, then they obviously know the past. 
Yeah, there's it's going on board a UFO is very much like in some ways a near death experience because in essence you are going into another dimension because these things do travel interdimensionally mm. and apparently people are pulled out of our time stream I think in some cases because there are a number of cases where people are being abducted and time is just completely stopped nobody's moving the birds aren't moving mm. and and other cases where people are taken to the past or shown things that will happen to them in the future uh, which is something you also see in near death experiences so there's these weird bleed throughs of paranormal activity which is why I wrote you know about near death experiences and ghosts and out of body stuff and past lives and bigfoot because in a way this stuff is all connected i think they're separate phenomena this has a whole knock on effect if disclosure came out what do you think that it would do to possibly some of the religions that uh, the reason why i say this is because you described earlier about that case where that lady was thrown through the window of her car she then gets taken away and and to all intents and purposes fixed do you think that maybe if we went back maybe 300 years ago or less even that she would have actually recounted that as an angel visitation rather than an alien visitation? Is that a fair point to say? Yeah, I think that that is probably some of these events have been interpreted as angels. One lady I interviewed, uh, the ETs told her exactly that. They said, oh, you thought we were angels. That was us. <laughs> oh, <really>? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Psych. And they told her we <laughs> They said we've been manipulating human genetics for a long time and animals too. They told her, get this, this is so strange. They told her that they had altered the genes of cats and dogs to boost their emotional intelligence so that they could relate better to humans. Wow. Now, <laughs> we watched something the other day that, that said just exactly that, where they were looking at dogs, mm-hmm. and they actually said that the dog's face has actually changed over the year to be, or over the years, over the year, over the years, to be able to <laughs> manipulate their eyebrows mm-hmm. to more convey their emotions in a human-like way. And, and what you've just said it just blew my mind because of what we heard on, on that show the other day. Yeah, true, though. You know, when our dog gets in trouble, you just hate yourself for having to yell at her because she looks so pitiful. <laughs> she gives you know? the best part. Yeah. Oh, there's no reason for that in nature other than us. Because the lion isn't going to stop coming after an animal just because it looks at it with pretty little doe eyes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In fact, only, it would look at it as a weakness. Yeah, the only sort of creatures on Earth that that would matter to would be human. Mm. So Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah, yeah I, I remember our dog would was not allowed to sleep on the couch. <laughs> We'd walk in there, she'd be on the couch and get this guilty look in her eye they know what guilt is mm-hmm. <laughs> get off yeah we taught you you changed their genes but we taught them guilt <laughs> yeah. yeah no that, that's really interesting you literally have just blown my mind with that with that statement if you look at the quintessential image of the gray let's say then really they don't seem from the reports that i've read to really use their facial muscles if they've got any in that emotional kind of way, do they? Not generally speaking. There are a few cases. I mean, one guy I talked to, he's like, he's pretty sure it's a mask. I'm not sure about that because pe- people have seen them blinking and stuff. Mm. That does occur a few times. One guy I interviewed, uh, he's actually from England, uh, Cumbria, I believe. 
Yeah, that, and that yeah. really is England. That really is England. You yeah. squint in your face. Over <laughs> I squinted because because people say England and, and and they really mean the UK, and I live in Wales, so I get offended <laughs> by people saying England. <laughs> so at any rate, yeah, he had experience with greys, and they weren't particularly pleasant. He didn't like them. You know, they were being abducted and had a needle stuck in his head. It was very painful. They didn't care. He has these greys appear next to his bed, or a one grey. He jumps up and hits it in the face. Uh, which is pretty rare but does happen and he says this thing's face definitely changed it's it's (laughs) yeah it opened its mouth its eyes went wide and it hissed at him really yeah it showed its teeth which were sharp pointed little teeth wow why that was really interesting that really is interesting yeah yeah right because that's what i've heard in other cases um sharp pointed little teeth <laughs> and uh yeah he said it was angry <laughs> it was one pissed off little gray <laughs> one pissed off little gray <laughs> i like that <laughs> he would be an englishman <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's funny because where you were talking earlier bella about you know being frightened of ghosts but not being frightened about aliens as much i guess you can fight an alien i mean you might not win but you've got a chance to fight an alien haven't you if, well, if there's no, a ghost you can't necessarily punch it can no, you? no i'm more afraid of aliens oh right okay yeah well, I'm not. more afraid, I'm more afraid because they can i mean they could wipe us out a ghost is only gonna what rattle some pots and pans and that sort of thing but you know rattle a pot and pan around your head um, <laughs> Yeah, but the ETs can also heal you. I've documented 300 cases of people really? being healed. Healed as a result of a UFO encounter. Struck by a beam of light, you know, visited in their bedroom, taken on board. A lot of cases. 300. What was your favorite story out of that book, out of the book to do with the, the driving encounters? I'm going to say it's uh, the South Hutch Theater in South Hutchinson, Kansas, 1966. Pat Mitchell decides to go to a James Bond movie with his friend. A small town, but it's, this theater is one of the biggest around, 120 feet high, 50 feet wide. And they're watching the movie. It's pretty exciting. You know, it's James Bond. And suddenly this little light appears right over the screen. It's clearly off in the distance, but it's getting bigger and closer. And his friend's like, do you see that? And Pat's like, yeah, what is it? And it's coming closer and closer. And this darn thing... It's you know, moving pretty slowly, but finally comes right up to the screen, right next to it, and actually below the level of the top of the screen. So if this screen is 120 feet high, you know, we mm. know it's lower than that. And it was almost as wide as the screen. So he's estimating maybe 40 feet across. Five. Screen's 50 feet. And it just sits there. And everyone is just, you know, they're just can't believe it they're all staring at it nobody's panicking they're all just kind of dumbfounded pat's like it was glorious it was beautiful had colored lights all around it no visible portholes or anything so this darn thing moves behind the screen and is completely out of view behind the movie screen for just a second or so comes out on the left side moves up a tiny bit and hovers for another five minutes (laughs) so you can't tell me this is not showing itself off and, That's right. Right? And so what this thing next does is it starts circling the theater. It circles it one complete circle and then starts heading down the road, straight down the road, about six miles. It's going maybe 10, 20 miles per hour. So what happens? Everyone decides to just, they're not watching the movie anymore. 
we're going to follow this thing. And a convoy of like 20, 50 cars takes off out of the theater and follows this thing down the road for six miles where it parks again, right up there in the sky and stays for another five minutes. Everyone's just talking, wow, what is it? It Could it be a UFO? This was you know, pretty early on. A lot of this, wasn't a lot of talk of UFOs. So they weren't even quite sure what they were seeing. <laughs> but finally, this thing just darts up straight up, becomes a little star in the sky and disappears. Gone. Wow. I mean, I totally agree with you. That had to be a show, didn't it? It's almost as if they have no fear of us or what our reactions are going to be. They're not expecting the military to suddenly turn up and start, you know, blowing them out of the sky. Or if they are, they think, well, we'll be able to get away quick enough. So it's not really a threat. <laughs> yeah, because that does happen in two or three cases, at least, where the, the these objects are chased away by planes. So the next day, what's, this case has a little bit of a follow-up. They go to the newspaper because, you know, Pat actually had done some photography work for them. And uh, he knew people had gone there and they hadn't seen a story in like two days. And they thought, for sure, this is going to be front page news at the local newspaper. And it's not. So they go there and they're like, well, are you, have you heard about the sighting, you know, at the drive-in theater? And, and everyone at the newspaper office just kind of played dumb. And said, no, no, what are you talking about? We don't know. Which he knew wasn't true because he knew that other people had gone to the uh, newspaper office. Yeah. So then that's when rumors started flying that the military had actually shown up and said, do not write about this. I couldn't verify that, but it wouldn't surprise me a bit. Have you read about any sort of men in black cases relating to these sightings? No, alien men in black. Um, but yeah, government has shown up. There was one case, gosh, I believe this was Orlando, Florida, that area. Uh, UFO showed up over the theater and it was very low level. In fact, the theater announcer make, made an announcement over the loudspeaker and said, there's a UFO. I'm not kidding. This is not a hoax. There's a UFO over the theater. Look. Hmm. And sure enough, there it was. And there were portholes, and you could see humanoids looking out. They couldn't tell you know, what type of people these were. They were just silhouettes, normal looking. But the government did show up and cleared the theater out and said, told people not to talk about it. I would really want to talk about it more. <laughs> yeah, but they don't just tell you that, do they? They kind of threaten you as well. So the cases that I've heard anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and that was a different time too. I mean, back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, we authority, I think, had more authority. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And, and now we've got people protesting over pretty much everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's true as well. You mentioned earlier that you've got your latest book out. What's that one? The latest is UFOs at the Drive-In, but right before that was Onboard UFO Encounters. Okay. But yeah, UFOs at the Drive-In literally just came out last week. I'm glad you said that because I saw this come out and I, and I thought, yes, this is his most recent book. And then when you said earlier, uh, my, my most recent book, but you were talking about your previous to this one. Yeah, yeah, I have to stop calling it my most recent book now. Because <laughs> <laughs> you threw me. <laughs> Preston, it's been absolutely amazing speaking to you. Really enjoyed our time with you today. The book was a fantastic read. Uh, it definitely opened my eyes. I really didn't realize this was a thing. But once again, you, you've produced a book which makes people think suddenly, wow, I thought I knew it all, but really I didn't. Well, you know what? One of the stories in the book happened in Baltimore, all right, okay, right? your neck of the woods. Yeah, and that really pisses me off because when I was a kid, we used to go to the drive-in 
every weekend, every weekend we would go. My mom, me, you know, friends. I never saw anything. Well, they weren't, in, they weren't interested in you. I know, right? Little old you. It's kind of insulting. I mean, as many times as I've been to the drive-in. Well, we don't have the drive-in here, or certainly nothing around where I live. I think that you'd have struggled to see it through the rain. Do they not yeah. do them in the when it's no, raining? No, it rain. But you just turn your windshield wipers on. All right, okay, so it's still fine. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's pretty much a U.S. phenomenon. There are a couple of cases in Canada. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't. Well, one in China as well, but that was an outdoor theater, no cars. Yeah, uh, I, I remember that essentially one. Essentially the same. Yeah, that was a tragic case. Actually, it caused panic. Fifty people got injured. Two were actually killed as a oh, result no. of the panic. Yeah, so this is serious stuff. Yeah. And Bella, maybe, maybe you did Bella see stuff, but they just took your memory yeah. away. <laughs> I just don't remember. Yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, that's true. I mean, it, it's, it was really weird though reading the book because you know there was a bleacher section where you could sit if you wanted to, and they, there was a playground which was smack in front of the movie screen. And kids would be, you know, we'd be out there all night playing on these swings and stuff if we wanted to. I mean, it was, I was thinking, like, I got robbed. <laughs> <laughs> all that time. Well, it's going to come back, so yeah. it's not over yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you said you're, you're frightened of them. You don't want to protest too much. They might come along and say, actually, you do a show now. We could get our word out. Well, look, when I moved here, what, I've been here about six years now, right? That driving was still open. <laughs> we yeah. could always go back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, it really opened my eyes. Some of the cases I didn't even have a clue about. And the spectacles, as you say, that they're producing in front of us, that it's not this clandestine sort of covert thing. They're out there in front of people. Yeah, yep, definitely a display for sure. I mean, with one one case had like a mothership and it lets out eight others they start dancing around for an hour yeah it's a display for sure yeah yeah most definitely where's the best places people can get your book you can go to my website i've got excerpts there and you can purchase it through my website or amazon.com it's fine online retailers bookstores if you can find one and what's your website my website is actually if you google my name it should take you there but the actual address is prestondennett.weebly.com that's two N's, two T's. Yeah, always happy to hear from people. You can contact me through my website. If you've got a story or a comment or a question. But yeah, I really, really appreciate you guys having me on the show. It was so much fun. No, that brilliant. We really enjoyed ourselves. What's next for you, by the way? What have you got in the pipeline? Anything? Or is it a secret? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no. I've got a couple of books I'm working on right now. Always working on something. One is very much like... My other books, Onboard UFO Encounters and Inside UFOs, which is about people who've had really extensive contact. And another is kind of following up on my series of books, the Not From Here series, which is about the really weird and um, outlying type cases that sort of defy the standard model of contact. Well, mm. we'd definitely like to have you back on the show to talk about those as and when. Yeah, we if, like weird. Yeah, if that's <laughs> okay with you. Oh, yeah, for sure. I've got weird cases for sure. UFOs hovering over prisons, alien phone calls. And this is serious stuff. I mean, these are real cases is what I'm saying. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we do make light of stuff, but but it is serious. Like you said, there are people having real experiences and that are truly affected by some of these things. So while we do poke fun a little bit from time to time, we also... We don't also, mean to be disrespectful. No, no, exactly. And you're certainly not disrespectful of the subject because it's something that's interested us for years and, you know, it is definitely worthy of a lot more research and a lot more time. Yeah, once again, thank you very much for being on the show. Our guest has been Preston Dennett. His book... UFOs at the drive-in, 100 true cases of close encounters at the drive-in theatres. Make sure you get it at your favourite bookstore online or via his website, as you mentioned. Preston, thank you once again. Thank you. Thank you. Well, young lady, mind blown or what? Mm, yeah, a little bit. A little bit? <laughs> uh, you got like a Kevlar brain or something? Yeah. Yeah, huh? that's me. Yeah. Too bad I don't have one of those. Uh, no, I said Kevlar, not clever. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. No, now, I think that I will have to read some more of his books and then we'll have to call him up and get him to come back. We definitely need him back on the show. He is definitely well worth having on. He's been doing this for years and years, researching absolutely loads. And, you know, he's written, well, we, we said at the top of the show, didn't we, over 25 books. He said during this that it's over 20, but I actually checked on his website. His website says 26, so definitely over 25. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is an absolute wealth of information and he's a nice chap as well. So, guys, thank you very much for listening to us today. Especially thank you for listening to Bella. I know it is hard work. <laughs> Don't forget, you can catch up with more Weird Wacky Wonderful stuff by going to our website, www.weirdwackywonderful.co.uk. You can learn a little bit more about us. You can even see our studio that we're sitting in here. You Woo-hoo. can learn. <laughs> you can learn about our guests and you can even play the podcasts from there we're on all your favorite podcast apps which you probably know if you listen to this so i don't even know why i said that because you always say it you can hit us up on facebook twitter instagram (laughs) and you can even shut up you can even (laughs) send us a message via our website i don't know why you just don't like record it and just plunk it in there okay and finally you can mail us at mail at weirdwackywonderful.co.uk there we go i get pleasure out of saying this at the end Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. my parents call me i say don't forget Uh you can reach me at Mm -hmm. (laughs) www yeah um, and and i see that our email box is overflowing with email from your parents Guys, thank you once again for joining us. And don't forget to stay as Bella is, weird, wacky, wacky and and as I am, wonderful. (laughs) Okay, bye. Bye, (laughs) y'all.